Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, informs and embraces the spouses beside the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever and whenever you want. And with products and services tailored for ADF members and Defence spouses, you'll wonder why you didn't join sooner. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Welcome, Fiona, to the Military Life Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can you tell me how you and your husband met and how you got together? We um, met actually in a nightclub. He was um, visiting his uh, parents who were posted in the Blue Mountains. His dad was in the RAF and he was visiting them and I was living in Sydney with my parents and I went out in Sydney and um, we met one night late in the city. So, yeah, a bit of a chance encounter. So chance meeting, but when, yes. when you met, obviously you were both in different locations to where you lived. Was it discussed yeah. that your husband was in the Defence Force or was it more of a just a random meeting and, you know, we might see each other again or what was the... It really was about a 20-minute conversation at 2am and um, he took my number and I don't think he called for another month. So he left me hanging there. Yeah, so he was actually living in Canberra at the time. I believe he was in his final year of RMC. So, yeah, he drove up a couple of times to go, to, go on dates with me. And, um, yeah, it's, the relationship sort of blossomed with just those every couple of months catch-ups, I guess. So from the start, obviously, you were sort of long distance. But how did you nurture the relationship to decide to go forward with a long-term relationship and then knowing that you were both in different locations, what was the thought process in going forward together? To be honest, it was difficult. I had no idea about military life. I'd never known anybody, met anybody. And we we dated for a, a couple of months, as in once a month I would see him and, and we'd talk on the phone a lot and things like that. But then he said he had to go out bush and I didn't really know what that meant. But he basically disappeared off the radar for however long, six weeks, I'm guessing. And he got back and he gave me a call and I was like, you know what? I don't think this is going to work. I just, I, I had a whole other life and I couldn't wrap my head around it. Uh, we, we stayed in contact and, and um, the question being, how did I, it got to the point where he got his first posting and that was up to Toowoomba and my dad got out the atlas on the dining room table because this is back in um, 2003 and showed me where Toowoomba was and Will had said, would you like to come with me? And it was that I either go or this is over because I we'd only spent at most 24 hours with each other every few months. There was um, there was always best behaviour. We didn't really know each other and there seemed to be no way to move the relationship forward and, until I made that move out of home and all the way to Toowoomba, country Toowoomba. So I guess how did I nurture it? We stayed in contact over the phone a lot and then otherwise I, I just took the plunge. <laughs> And I guess in saying that, like it sounds, you know, obviously it's a huge leap to go from seeing each other every couple of months for limited time to then move to another state for him. And also back then, you know, not this is my time as well, so it's not like the olden days or anything like that, but back then... (laughs) 
you hadn't had that relationship where you could prove that you were together for a certain amount of time and that you'd lived together and that you had a bank account. And so how did you actually move in together? What was that process like? Because in the eyes of defence, yeah, don't exist at that stage. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough that, you know, I had a husband who, who sourced that information about having to get bank accounts together and how it would be beneficial for us to be de facto, even though it was a bit of a scary, horrible word to me at 22. So, yeah, we, we drove up to Toowoomba and it's a blur, to be honest, but I, I'm guessing we stayed in a hotel and we hunted for a house, an apartment, and we, we secured a, an apartment pretty much that first weekend and moved in and started paying the rent. And, um, and then, uh, and obviously got a joint bank account. And then I think, I don't know, remember how long that needed to be up and running for before we provided that paperwork to defence and then got some assistance with the rent. But yeah, we definitely were settled in the house before that was sorted out. So like, number one, you, you survived a huge road trip together. Yes. On the way up to your location. <laughs> with no air conditioning either. <laughs> going from, going from seeing each other every now and then yeah. to driving all that oh, way crazy. and moving in together straight up. Like, yeah. Yeah. And now, yeah, now that I think back. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. think about one of your kids doing that. And what yeah, you I know. About it's like, that now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. your parents had a bit of, you know, faith in the fact that, okay, well, you gotta, you gotta give it a go, I guess. Like, yeah. Right. And I wasn't 18. Like I was 23. I'd been working for five or six years and do you know what I mean I guess I was an adult my parents have always treated us as adults so I never you know I'm sure they had reservations in the back of their minds but they never said them to me so yeah and it looked three I think it was we were up there for three months and he proposed so I felt pretty secure after that <laughs> yeah what was your actual introduction to defense life like obviously once the dust had, and the excitement had settled of moving and being together yep. and and everything had sort of settled down and obviously you got engaged when was the first instance of you going oh this is defense life yeah look not in Toowoomba um he was pretty much around like just now that I look back it was probably just like a normal job sort of nine to five or whatever hours they work after 12 months we moved to Wagga and he was an instructor out at Kapuka there and that was the first experience of him not being at home and I like they, they do a lot of night training and in summertime it doesn't get dark till nine or ten at night and so he'd crawl into bed at 2am and then I'd get up at six and go to work and and then that went for 12 months and then I got in the car again to drive to Townsville and I cried the entire drive it was just then that it really dawned on me that this sucked <laughs> yeah so for want of a better word yeah so it was really I found a wogger a bit of a, a shock and then just getting back in the car again to do another huge drive. That was being our third move in three years. And I was, that's the reality then hit. <laughs> yeah. Job-wise, what was going on for you and, and, you know, what was happening for you in your life? Because he's obviously off doing his thing. He, he has things that he has to do. He can't, you know, say no to it. He can't, you know, say, oh, well, my partner's just got a job in this location. We can't go to the next location. How were you yeah. feeling in yourself in regard to still being able to live your life alongside defence life? I was, I graduated with a business degree majoring in accounting. I'd done a cadetship straight out of school. And um, so I had been an accountant in Sydney in two different firms. And so when I got to Toowoomba, I got a job fairly easily and worked there for that, for that year. And that was, um, it was good for me career-wise. I 
did farming businesses instead of city businesses. So it was a little bit different for me. And then again, I moved to Wagga and got a job pretty quickly. But I think it was then that I realised that I wasn't moving up anywhere because I wasn't staying in these jobs. I mean, you can't get promoted and, and be given big opportunities until they've kind of, you've earned that particular jobs, those people's respect and, and belief in you. And you can't do that in 12 months or less than once you add in removal times and all the rest of it. So I didn't mind the move to Townsville at that point, but I did say, look, it's got to be longer than a year. I, I really want to sort of go somewhere with my job. So yeah, I was getting jobs fine, but I wasn't going anywhere, sort of just flat line entry the whole time, if that makes sense. And so once you got to Townsville, what sort of happened with your husband's job then? Was it a lot of going away or was he at home a lot? And how did that work with wanting to stay in the location for longer than a certain amount of time? Yeah, we were there for three years. So that's, and that was back in 2006, seven and eight. And that has, and still remains our longest posting. And so that was really great. I was in the one job for the three years and he did a six-month deployment in Timor while we were there. He spent a lot of time away as well. But I guess because I'd been there for three years, that all happened with, you know, some friends and a, a job I was secure in and things like that. So, and a church at that point as well, which was wonderful for, for both of us in our relationship, but also for me to have that support while he was away. At least you got a chance to settle a bit in yeah, hosting yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. actually get the full effect of building those connections. And mm. Did you do any family planning? Did you discuss how kids would fit in with Defence Life or was it more just if it happens, no. it happens? Yeah, look, I think it was about two years into the marriage and we we're like, do we want to have children? And I said, yeah, well, I'd like to have them before I was 30. And so we're like, oh, let's leave it another couple of years. Okay. And then a couple of years passes by. We're like, it's been a couple of years. Okay, then. So <laughs> it really was not discussed. I mean, I barely understood what was around the corner defence life-wise for the two of us, let alone for kids. I didn't have friends that had children. I didn't really know people in the military, especially not with children. So no, it was not discussed. My husband was raised in an Air Force family. And so he had some insight into the fact that he had grown up on rough bases. And, but as a kid, right, it's all, it's all rose-coloured glasses, really. Like, like, oh, it was so fun and we rode our bikes everywhere. And, you know, so. Yeah, of course, it's a different time now. You don't, you hardly ever live on base. and No, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think a, a child's perspective is they're not the ones packing and removing, right? So I don't think he really, <laughs> he wasn't that helpful. <laughs> yeah. And I guess maybe his perspective may be different as well, because then he did go into that field as well. So it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, he's living a civilian life. And so he knows the difference between yes. civilian life and military. Like that's all he's totally. ever known. Now he's yes. doing that. Whereas you know the difference. Like <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I lived in the one house going to the one school for 20 odd years. Like I, yeah, but my children now, like when I say that to them, they're like, really, mom, really? You never moved. Like it's just, they don't know any different. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So once kids came along, obviously it's a different ball game with, you know, packing up and moving and I guess thinking about their needs and, and which location is best for them as well as you and your, your husband, how did it differ once you the kids came along with, you know, posting and, and all that comes with Defence Life? Personally, in terms of the conversations that myself and Will had, 
before kids and with postings. I was pretty keen to avoid, after my experience in Toowoomba, sort of isolated locations because of my job and getting a job and having the potential to do a good job. But once children came along, I really felt like that didn't matter. I was going to be home changing nappies and going to playgroup regardless of where we lived. So I was less inclined to say, oh, I don't want to go to, say, Pakapanyal or I don't want to go to Darwin or anything like that because it wouldn't really have impacted my Monday to Friday anyway. So in that regard, it really became about, and because I'd lost, I wasn't working, it all then was relying on my husband and his income. And so getting a good job and, and sort of ticking boxes in the military became more of our focus as a couple compared to when I was working. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a different perspective with, you know, it's even a different perspective when maybe you go from doing a job that you have to be in an office to being able to have mm. that remote option. It's like, well, mm. actually the way of where he's going to be posted or the military member's going to be posted yeah suddenly taken away because you know yeah it's a that little bit easier yeah and and I guess in saying that as well you also have chosen to homeschool your children so does that also take some of the weight of moving out of it as well because you know it's just yeah same life but in a different location totally and even when we get posted to a location like you find out a few months beforehand I am not concerned about which area of that location I'm going to live in like in terms of catchments for schools and things like that or I need to be in I don't want to be in that area because that school isn't very good it doesn't have the best it's just not a factor for us so yeah it is nice so how did homeschooling come about was that something that you always wanted to do or did you oh no no I was a career woman by then like I did really enjoyed my three years at um in Townsville working and um, was pretty keen to be at home with the babies. I didn't want to rush back to work, but I did sort of subconsciously think that, oh, yeah, I'd have five or six years at home and then I'd, I'd head back into the workforce. And I really enjoyed hanging out with them. I really enjoyed playing with my two and three-year-olds. And by the time uh, my third was born, we had moved to Darwin and we were just meeting a lot of homeschooling families. So I don't really know why we'd met a couple in church and in the postings before that. So the seed had been planted. And then because I'd never heard about homeschooling, I certainly didn't know anyone was when I was growing up that homeschooled. And then we got to Darwin, as I said, and we met a few families that homeschooled. And I think being in people's in people's homes, being invited in for lunch or coffee, you really think, oh, this is how it works. And oh, this is maybe a potential for us. So that's probably how it first started. It was obviously something I prayed a lot about and I really felt like God was leading me down that path, even though I didn't really want to go down it. It it seemed a little daunting, uh, as well as exciting and and great. It seemed a little daunting too, right? So yeah. I love um, it how you say that God was leading you down that path, even though you didn't want to go down that path. You're like, okay, I'm going, but like seriously. Yes. I was doing a few ultimatums with him as well. Like, well, you know, if you do this, I'll think about it. And then that, that, that occasion would happen. And I'd be like, ah, all the signs are leading this way (laughs) (laughs) so I guess when it came time to to obviously seriously consider homeschooling like how does that even work where do you is there a number you call like what do you do I know right I mean I know and so we went from so I think James my oldest was five when we left Darwin and so then we went from 
Darwin to Canberra and in that year he turned six which is the first year you even have to do anything and so that was the first year where it became a thing because up until six you don't have to do preschool you don't have to do three-year-old preschool you don't have to do any of those things and so I could kind of just not really declare that I was homeschooling in a way to anybody that you know, because I was still at the playgroup and with little babies and you know what I mean? It didn't, it wasn't that highlighted and it certainly wasn't that highlighted to my parents who just thought it was a bit of a crazy idea and surely when he gets to six or seven, you'll be putting him in school. And so he got to six and um, and yeah, I had to turn around and register as, as homeschoolers and then it was a little bit more confronting. So every state has a different process of registration and different requirements, just like, I guess, how the school system's different across states. So is the homeschooling. So in Melbourne, it so he was five and then he turned six when we arrived in Victoria. And it's just, it was just sign on the dotted line and you're done. Since then in New South Wales, however, it's a little bit different where you have to come up with a plan of what, how you're going to cover off the curriculum items. And then a homeschooling representative from the Board of Education comes into your home and has a chat to you and chats to the kids and, you know, has a look at what they're doing and what they're up to and then approves you for up to two years at a time. And so at least every two years in New South Wales, you have to re-register. So yes, I don't know any other states yet. They're the only two states I've lived in with school-aged children. So um, we'll see. How did it go once you got started? Like, did you just sort of go with the flow or did you think, okay, well, from these hours, we'll, do, we'll get the work done oh, and then no. the rest of the day is ours? Like, how did you approach it? And it's just an extension of what you were already doing. It wasn't like on his birthday, we woke up and, and started to do anything differently. I think the biggest thing that when you're talking to homeschoolers is to realise that they're mostly not recreating school at home. We don't finish breakfast and then pack it away and then all of a sudden we're in a classroom and I'm issuing them schoolwork that they must get done. At least that's not how it runs in my home. And I guess that's the difficult thing speaking to you about homeschooling. It is specific to every home. Everybody is doing things differently. There is unschoolers and world schoolers, uh, Montessori, natural learning. Uh, There are game schoolers and Charlotte Mason and classical homeschoolers. And so I can represent some of those, but everybody's home is, is running very differently, specific to their family schedule and specific to their children's likes and dislikes. And so for me, it's always been about playing and learning through play. And now that they're older, it's about facilitating their interests. And so it's about teaching them how to learn for themselves. It's not me saying today we are going or this week we are going to learn about a specific country. It's the fact that when Will's been away, we've looked at a map and seen where he is. And then from there, the kids are saying, oh, and what's that country do? And they're asking questions. And then we're Googling those answers. And then we're borrowing books from the library to provide those answers. And then we're watching a documentary about that country. And it's just facilitating their interest rather than determining as an external person what they're going to learn. So it's just life. Homeschooling is often just life. It's doing the washing and hanging it out and cooking breakfast and making dinner and reading to your little brothers and sisters. And a lot of that is is involved in our homeschooling life too. And it's a lot of freedom. Hey, it's a lovely day. Let's head to the beach. Mm-hmm. We have freedom over our own schedule, um, what we want to explore and learn. Nine out of 10 defence spouses wish they found out about Defence Bank sooner. 
Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning and currently has a rating of 4.8 out of 5 in both the app and Google Play Store. It does everything a big bank app does with cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, pin change functionality, savings roundup, spend tracker, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a Defence Bank branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. And with many of their branch staff a defence spouse or partner, you'll be talking to someone who just gets it. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. And like you mentioned at the start, you hadn't even really considered it an option until you had seen other people doing it. And so yes. obviously you know, when you think about it, it, it does sound like a perfect fit for defence life, for tackling all of the challenges that defence life bring with it, you know, kids going to different schools and having to fit in and, you know, buying different uniforms and having to find a house in the location of the school that you want them to go to and all of that sort of stuff. So when it comes to, I guess, homeschooling and defence life, what would you say to others that maybe haven't even really considered it, but hearing about someone else doing it might mm. prompt them to actually look into it? Like, what would you say to those people? Yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't go into it knowing what defence life would look like. But now we have done 12 removals, 12 interstate and international removals in 15 years. And that's a lot. My oldest is only 12. He's in, would be in year six. And I think we calculated that it'd be like, like six different schools already. So definitely looking back with hindsight, we can say that side of things has been a huge benefit homeschooling because his, his stability and his everyday isn't disturbed by the removal. It's just a part of yeah, our lives rather than he doesn't have to adjust to new schoolings. And, and as you said, um, all those challenges that come with that. I believe that defence families possibly would shy away from homeschooling in some respects. Take 2019 or 2018-19, we were in Albury-Wodonga for a couple of years and Will was away the majority of those two years. And homeschooling doesn't leave you with that nine to three break or that opportunity to go to a doctor's appointment or by yourself or to go play a sport game by yourself. So in that respect, I think defence life can prove challenging to some families when husband is away and then you do have the children 24-7. So um, that's a realistic uh, concern that I would want to to raise. You know, there's pluses and minuses with, with everything, but, yeah, it is being realistic to think that not everyone can have the career member be the military member and the other parent who is the home schooling parent and essentially doesn't have that, that freedom to go to work. And, you know, not every family can afford that. Not every um, family mm. or, or um, spouse can, can afford to take time out of the workplace like that. If they are in a career that, you know, you can't ca- take gaps or whatever the case may be, yeah. it's not always going to fit with everyone, but I guess the, the point is to offer it as an option and be able to weigh up the realistic pluses and minuses to that lifestyle. Yeah, and we really get to explore a location. We are there for the entire 52 weeks. We're not limited to just the 
six weeks in school holidays to get out and about and see a place. We don't just enter the rat race of the new location, going to school, going to work, pick up, drop off, uh, after school activities. We are down exploring all their museums, their local riverfronts, their um, beach spots, their secret waterholes all week, every week after every week. And so we really do have the opportunity to see Australia with this homeschooling and defence life. It's like you get the posting to Darwin and you're not limited to the four walls of your schoolroom all day. You know, you're out. Well, I have a, a great friend up there at the moment and she spends many a day fossicking with her children and on the beach and finding fossils and all this kind of stuff. And she's really loving what that that location is offering her children in an education way that in the previous location she didn't have. And then again, you go to another location and you learn all about, you know, we were mushroom picking down south of Aubrey and in the, in the forest. And that's not something you can do up north. And um, those opportunities to really see and learn about Australia seem so much more rich when you aren't limited to the classroom and when you aren't limited to just holiday times. Homeschooling is truly a magnificent and freeing way to live. But then when you tie it in with this defence life where you are being moved, hey, go live here for a while, hey, go live here for a while, it's this perfect combination of meeting new people and learning their culture and learning um, the way they do things and getting involved in the local sport activities there. And, um, yeah, I, I find that the, the marrying up of those two works really, really well. Yes, it's not necessarily that we can afford it, you know, my husband isn't somebody special. He's just earning a normal military wage. And so it's not easy in that regard, but it's a choice we've made. So are there a lot of defence families that do homeschooling? Like, obviously, you mentioned you didn't know about it until you heard it from, about yeah, it from some other people. Like I would say no. Like, this girlfriend that I know, um, Veronica, she is up north. She is the first and only one I have met. We, there is a Facebook group and there is a bunch of us on there, but um, I don't believe it's very big at all. Obviously, one of the things that people might say about homeschooling is that, oh, how do your, your kids make friends and, you know, how do they interact with other people in the community when they're not, you know, forming those connections through school? And But there is a rich tapestry of homeschooling families that connect online and, and meet up and, and do all of that. Like, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. In saying that I don't know any defense homeschoolers. Yeah. We are, we have a lot of homeschooling friends and especially in big towns like um, Wagga and Aubrey Wodonga and Canberra, they have really thriving, amazing, huge homeschool communities. The last couple of years in Aubrey, I could have done an activity a day if I wanted to, um, there's, they're running excursions, book clubs, sport gatherings, gymnastics. There is always something on midweek. We meet and see lots of people all week. And I think that's why COVID was a struggle for us. A lot of people said, oh, your life hasn't changed at all. But um, we, didn't, we don't sit at home <laughs> Monday to Friday. So it really impacted our ability to go out and see the museums and, and meet up with friends just like it impacted other people's families as well. So for someone, I guess, that's listening that it might be considering homeschooling or wants mm. to look at it as an option, where would be their first point of call? Would they, is there a Facebook group they can join? Like what, how do they even start? Yeah, there's uh, lots of, there's, I mean, there's Australian homeschooling groups online, but there's also local ones. So there's a local one to specifically where I'm living in Sydney. I think Sydney would have the largest <laughs> number 
number of local ones. Um, but everywhere I've moved, the way that I have connected with people is by jumping on Facebook and finding the local group. But there's also a number of great blogs that you can follow and, and really get a, a real true understanding of what people do in the day because meetups and meeting people locally is great for connection and for socialisation. But sometimes it's, it's really good to, to see how other people are really learning in their homes so i've found you know the internet and blogs and things like that on homeschooling is really good it's really big in america so there's plenty of those to read and watch as well your career goals and everything that you sort of worked towards in that area don't just sort of Mm. like die off like how do you i guess have that in the background as is that something that you are planning on going back to or like how do you sort of balance those sort of those lives and and what you were doing before and and what you're doing now? I had three children in four years and we had done four postings in that time. And so I don't think I would have worked in any case. And then we did a couple of international moves. So to be honest with you, it's only in the last probably two to three years that I've actually gotten to a point where my youngest was, say, two or three that I've kind of felt like I could take a breath and think, oh, maybe maybe I could do something on the side. But I don't think up until now it's been a consideration and I don't necessarily think the homeschooling was the reason. It's been the lot of movings and living in places where I couldn't have worked anyway or I've been about to give birth or we've been about to move. So it wasn't really on the cards for me to work. But it's only been, yeah, as I said lately, that I've thought about oh, maybe I could do something on the side. Maybe I could set up something on the side. And there are plenty of homeschoolers that do have online businesses that they do, you know, in the afternoons. They, they spend some one-on-one time with their children up until lunchtime and then they go off and work on their computers in the afternoon. There are people that work in actual jobs, like leaving the house on over the weekend or when they can have support or babysitters come in. So it's not the case that you cannot work. It's for me, I haven't been able to. I've started uh, a dog minding a bit of a side gig lately over the last um, 12 months. So that's been a nice thing that I can include. And and that is easy to move. um, But that's as far as it's gotten so far. Honestly, I don't think I would go back and be an accountant now. (laughs) It's, um, It's lost all interest for me now. Obviously, you have your big homeschool community and you have connections Mm -hmm. in lots of different areas by that. But do you have any spouse support or do you connect in with any other spouses in, in, um, you know, in any way? No, I haven't. Um, It's probably not the right answer, is it? So Aubrey, I definitely didn't. Before that, we were living in Paris. So I guess there was a support network with expats, um, many of whom were in Defence Force. um, And that was a great source of support while living overseas. But then again, if I go back the year before that, we were in Geelong. Geelong is not a posting location, so there was no defence support. And then before that, we're in Canberra. And again, I didn't seek any support out in that location either. So no, I would say over the last five or six years, no, except for when we were overseas. So yeah, yeah. I love that you're like, oh, we were in Geelong and then in Paris. <laughs> like there's a bit of a difference there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're living a lot closer to each other in overseas and there was a lot of either DFAT spouses um, and 
defence spouses, all kind of going through those same challenges. So you did seek each other out to go for coffee and, and support each other. But I think it's difficult in Australia where everybody's so spread out and you have different lifestyles and different schedules. And, and now with homeschooling older children, it's not really something that I feel necessarily comfortable to take for children all the way, you know, half an hour drive over to a defence morning tea. It, it wouldn't benefit my children and so it wouldn't be something I would do. Obviously, you love being around your kids because you're with them all the time. But like, <laughs> yes. do you ever ne- like need a break? And how do you get <laughs> yes, that break? I am, I am human. But people often say, oh, how do you do it? I could never do it. Oh, my children, you know. But I think it's like anything. It's like hanging out with your husband. If you have leave and you have, you know, you're hanging out with him 24-7, it's, there's an ebb and a flow, right? You, you kind of know when he's not in a great mood or he knows when you're not and you just sort of do your own thing and then you come back together and because the children and I hang out all the time it's very much like that for us it's not they're off at school all day and then they come back and they're tired and cranky and I'm just trying to get dinner and them into bed it is this beautiful ebb and flow all day so there isn't that oh I need a break like I can I have the ability to say guys I just need to go put my feet up on the couch and have a cup of tea now right? Because we are hanging out. We're all best friends, if that makes sense. But in terms of actually getting out of the house and going off and playing a game of sport or something, and we have employed au pairs in the past. So they're wonderful. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's not many left in the country at the moment now. So yeah, I feel for people that don't have au pairs now who are used to having au pairs because they they sound like magical beings. Yeah, well, the only reason we ever employed one was purely in preparation for going to France. We thought, let's get a French au pair and, you know, compared that to the cost of us learning French, the children and I, that would be a great option. Meanwhile, she comes along and she's hanging out my washing and doing all this other stuff and I'm like, oh, my gosh, why didn't I know about these people earlier? Mm. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so then we've come back from Paris and we've had, we had two when we lived in Aubrey-Wodonga and then we got one when we got to Sydney but COVID happened and she went home and, yeah. But realistically, my children are a lot older now, so... I can leave them at home while I pop up the road to a doctor's appointment and things like that. So it's not as necessary as was it, as what it was a couple of few years ago. So Yeah. How have you looked after your mental health? Obviously you embrace homeschooling and all that comes with moving and, and I guess handling everything that comes with defence life. But how, mental health-wise, how do you look after yourself? Um, I don't think I did for a number of years. Maybe that's an age thing as well when you're young and I probably packed a lot of emotions away in a cupboard and didn't necessarily know how to deal with it and a lot of moving on in a new location was about okay just be happy and and say yes to the new invitations and um, be positive and meanwhile not addressing you know any sadness or any underlying stress right and so I think I had a lot of that build up and I probably crashed a bit in 2019 and I would have to say in hindsight it was probably the overwhelming loneliness that I have experienced over the last 15 years so while I've sat here and raved about homeschooling the difficulty is the frequent moves and being the new person all the time, be that in the homeschooling community or at church. And it's tough to find 
really great friends or really people that you can be real with and tell them that you're struggling when you're the new person, it's really hard to do that. And so I didn't do that and I probably came crashing down in 2019. So I reached out to Veterans Affairs. Um, there, there was a great response from them and I was referred to a counsellor. But it was in the November-ish of 2019 when I was about to move. And so it became, it got put on the back burner, obviously, because then I was moving. So six months later, in the middle of 2020, I actually used um, a wonderful lady online, Amy Crawford from Holistic Ingredient. And uh, she did some tapping and emotional freedom techniques. And that's been really quite fantastic for me. So yeah, that's what I've done. And through those processes, I've learned about boundaries and patterns of behaviour and how I do have control and, and how I can learn to, to feel emotions and create, get a, a new confidence and, and deal better with the lifestyle. Because like you mentioned, you kind of go through like a grieving process every time you move, like for what mm. could have been or what you had and now you're giving up and you know, you may not find in the next location. And like you said, even being in a place long enough to be able to build that friendship that you can combine in someone, it's not, it's also the fact that you don't get a chance to build that friendship where that person knows you so well that they know that you're not right, that you don't necessarily have to say it, but they know and they they just support you without you even having to ask. And that's like, you know, a relief in itself. Yeah, it's been really hard, I reckon. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) And so I guess without, you know, reaching out for that support through Veterans Affairs and then obviously finding your therapist or your support Mm. in 2020, that obviously would have had a flow-on effect for how you moved through moves coming up and homeschooling your kids and being able to juggle all of it, especially since your husband was also then going to be posted to a ship and and away and, you know, back home and sort of thing. So obviously that, you know, that needed to happen for you to be able to juggle everything else in life. Yeah, totally. And it sounds so self-absorbed to say that wives are so undervalued, but (laughs) if it wasn't for us, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. And sometimes I do feel like the cursive thank you at the end of the year (laughs) doesn't quite capture the difficulties that we go through. Yeah, I I think it it was starting to impact, um, but not that my husband would have known specifically because he wasn't around. But, yeah. Yes, for sure. And if you can get to a point in yourself where you can you know, mentally juggle the demands of defence life and, you know, be able to move through that in a positive way, even if it is you having to do the work to be able to do it, move through in a positive way. When you do just get that token thank you at the end of the year from, you know, defence or whoever it might be, <laughs> you're okay in yourself knowing that, yes. you know, that thank you is not enough, but you know that you're valued way more than that sort of thing. Like yes. Know what yeah, I mean? totally. Yeah. yeah, because what I've and some of the experiences that I've had that have sparked me having to obviously give myself a pat on the back and acknowledge the fact that, yeah, all that I do and all that spouses do is amazing is because I've been to retirement parties where 
the defence member has done 30 years and they get a watch and the spouse yep. gets a bunch of flowers. And to me, that that really isn't enough. So I'm not holding yeah. out for a bunch of flowers. That's not going to be my congratulations. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. And I've got, I've gotten a new respect. Like um, when I was young and I would go to those things when I was young, I'd, I'd be sort of like looking on at the woman thinking, well, you didn't just retire and you didn't earn this. And now, 15 years later, I look, I'm thinking, oh, yes, she did, right? It's just, yeah. yeah think, the party should be, <laughs> yeah, this party's for her. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, he's, had, yeah. he's had his trips away. He's had his promotions. This party's for her, for all yeah, the sacrifices she made. <laughs> so, like, if you didn't come around to being able to find ways to, I guess, grapple with the fact that that thank you mm. is not all you're worth, you'd be broken basically. Like. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and that was a huge thing is recognising that I don't need to be seen by anybody else. I don't need to be seen by my husband. I don't need to be acknowledged by anyone else to just be confident in the decisions I'm making and the choices I'm making and the achievements I'm doing. And that, it, that feeling is yeah. so freeing. Like Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's not something necessarily you can just tell yourself. No. Right? It's something you have to really work towards. It's yeah. It, it, I mean, it ultimately does usually come from a place where, you know, you've gotten to a point where the only way out of it mm. is, is finding another way sort of thing. So yes. obviously to get to that point, you've been through a fair bit, but the fact yeah. that when you do get to that point, you kind of like stop worrying about outside validation and, you know, other people's acknowledgement and what other people think about you and all of those things that, yeah. you know, only time and experience you can get to. Totally. Right. And that's another thing that resonates with me often with some of your posts is about making that decision around what you need. And I think I wasn't doing that for many, uh, many years. I think that is hard though when you've got you know, babies, it's not like you can just disappear for even a day, you know, when they're little, but at least um, now when they're older, I think the tendency has been that they're away for anywhere between three weeks and, you know, seven months. And then they get back and there's this onus on you now to create family time and to create um, and to give them the time at home with the kids and to go on a family holiday that rests on your shoulders to organise. And I think it's good to sort of go, okay, no, 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 I need, I need a break or I need to go away by myself for a night first, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, sure. And identifying those needs, whatever they are, is really important and it's something that I wasn't doing at least up until now. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your life and your, so many moves and homeschooling <laughs> and all that comes with <laughs> defense life and everything thank you so much yeah yeah no i've enjoyed chatting i so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode there are definite ups and downs to military life but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together we are all just doing our best so until next week you got this let's do this together one day at a time Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, 
I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 